0: This is SideQuest Completed, the happiest game dead podcast with your hosts Calvin and JC, coming to you every Wednesday with encouragement and advice on making your game a reality. Hey, hello and welcome to SideQuest Completed, a special episode with myself, host JC Holder, and a special guest, Henry Kaiser. Today we're talking about VR, virtual reality. Dun dun Right. Uh, So, Henry, will give us some context
1: on uh, your background with virtual reality. Yeah. So, I started um, doing work in VR back in 2016. I was getting a master's in media innovation from Northwestern, specifically, like, how can VR be used in a newsroom? Mm -hmm. And so, during that, I ended up doing a lot of research and just needing to know everything that we could find related to VR. So, how to quell motion sickness, how to design for... um, VR for children, VR for different audiences, and then uh, spend a lot of time focused on how do you communicate VR, uh, which is a very three-dimensional experience to people who are only watching it over a flat video or watching it uh, or, or learning about it through audio because accessibility reasons. Like yeah. not, every, not everyone who's interested in VR is going to have access to a headset right off the bat that they can put one on and get a feel for it. Yeah, last thing you want is... Twitch streams uh, nausea. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so actually I had, I had a whole company. That's a great segue. I had actually, I started my own company um, in 2017 called Share VR, And that was um, an infrastructure pipeline so that people who have VR games and want to Twitch stream them or wanted to YouTube stream them um, could stream them from inside the game without Ooh. needing secondary software. And the video output was actually closer to like a third person video feed. Uh, compared to like a first-person video game perspective because uh, if you watch a lot of twitch streams and you talk to those audiences they watch more third person than first because yeah. it alleviates motion sickness it, and like the, sh- the shakiness of the head in vr is so much worse than it is like just on like a skyrim or a call of duty yeah because you don't have people doing the whole little like Micro Twitches. Exactly. And so uh, my company had hooked that up for a game called Sorrento VR, as well as um, VR Monster Wake, which was like a Godzilla game where people were like stomping through a city. Um, And we had a couple other like uh, clients and partners and whatnot. And so that was literally helping Twitch streamers and helping their audiences uh, make their own videos and share them and stream them and and whatnot. Uh, Was absolutely something I worked on for like 18 months until I started teaching at Northwestern some more VR things. And then moved to New York last year, and here I, I now advise different, um, both startups that are trying to communicate what the hell they do, and then um, journalists, media companies, uh, like big brands, like how do we tell a story in VR without it costing two hundred thousand dollars, and then we're not going to see any impact with it. Yeah. Whereas if I, you know, we they could sell the same story for fifty thousand or seventy thousand. The, what they need in order to get impact is lower and so they can probably see an ROI and maybe want to do more of those. Yeah, that's
0: a really good uh, segue to for hobbyists and indie game devs Yeah, how do you do VR on a budget because the yes. average hobbyist indie dev doesn't have Two
1: hundred thousand dollars. Oh no! To on a VR project. <laughs> We've got ramen noodles, and, and even then, like you you want to get the like VR the VR noodles? No. Yeah, Zero yeah. calories. Can I you know. get the, the tasty ramen, or is it just going to be you know regular Manchurian ramen? You know, for five, for five cent packs. Um, yeah, like designing VR is in many ways, it's a lot harder to design for. It's a lot harder mm. to engineer mm. than um, I. I we were on the game jam team together, you know, two weeks ago. I love making you know coding up video games. But at the same time when I do that, I, I'm often in a mindset of like, all right, make a good third person, first person mm-hmm. PC game. And then I'm thinking about turning it turn the corner towards VR because of the simple fact that it's easier for me to see if a game is interesting and working mm-hmm. from a traditional PC first person loop yeah. before I start working on now, also, what's the extra step? I'll know ahead of time I'm designing eventually for VR down the road, but I can play test it a bit quicker exactly. and a bit easier with everybody who's got a semi-okay PC compared to... All right, now that I know that this is fun... Actually fun. Now I should turn the corner and start designing in all the headset components and the touch control components and all... Of, and, and and that's the bigger issue sometimes with um, designing for VR is... One, your game has to be really highly optimized because usually, you know, when we make a PC game, you only have to render it once Mm -hmm. um, for you know the six, you know, nineteen twenty by ten eighty or thirty eight forty you know um, resolution laptop screen. Whereas most PC games are rendering it three times: left eye, right eye, and then usually still the monitor of the PC, even if it's a tiny resolution on the monitor or whatever you do. Those three rendering processes are really intensive on a computer comparatively and the two left eye and right eye generally those you want those rendering between 75 and 90 frames per second So really highest now it's not just like a i'm a gamer bro who really needs their fps yeah or
0: frames per second yeah
1: um it's a very real need, so that people don't throw up. While yeah, playing your game. yeah. The, the, there's two. Like when we talk about motion sickness in VR, this was a big concern back in you know, 2016. We weren't 100 percent confident what caused motion sickness. Like, well, by 2016 we had an idea. 2015 DK1, late DK2. We weren't sure. And then when it's the, really recently too. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's only a couple of years ago. Um, but then come 2016, we started to have a, pre- a proper understanding of. Okay, the two things that really matter are frames per second, and that's because. Uh, when the frame rate drops below a certain amounts mm-hmm. and this is again like so not just the general frame sweep feeding to your eye but those frames are tracking where your head position was mm. a second ago the feed that's going up the cable and into the headset or being broadcast across the air into the headset is trying to send you an image of the last time it calculated where your head was yeah. and so at 90 frames per second you're getting enough video frames that your left and right eyes are saying okay this perspective matches what I'm supposed to be seeing compared to if I'm playing a first person shooting game or if I'm playing some sort of quick action game in VR and I'm moving my head around a lot and I'm changing perspectives. If the frame I'm getting is from where my head was, you know, even a one of a second ago, um, you kind of feel drunk. Yeah. Um, the whole world is lagging behind you a bit, the same way, like, you know, if, if you, have I hope that people have not been that intoxicated, but a lot of us have. Um, you don't like that feeling. And yeah. and so not that's, fun. yeah, immediately you'll, you'll find people kind of start putting their hands out to their side like they're a tightrope walker because yeah. they know that the world isn't matching uh, what Your their armpits. inner ear yeah. telling them, their eyes are telling them, exactly. And so that's, you know, that all comes from not just, um, you know, how many AI characters do I haven't seen, and how many physics calculations, but that very basic loop of and I have to render this three times, and I have to render it really, really quickly. Yeah. Um, sometimes even the most ba- I saw someone who who made a, a just like a rollerball tutorial, the classic Unity tutorial that every one of us does, and they had upgraded the rollerball to do all these different like physics mechanics, Ooh. and just by that, and then they brought a VR headset into it. Just having, I think he had like 75 physics objects and all these collisions and things happening it's was enough that the headset started to tick down. And he wasn't running it on like a 1080 and you know, 64 RAM, whatever kind of super high end PC. He was on a, what's considered a minimum spec VR you know rig. Mm-hmm. But even these basic um, systems that you can make by just you know dropping a whole bunch of primitives into Unity and having them collide with each other was enough to start dragging away power from the headset that he could just start making himself motion stick really quickly. And so that conscious design in game as a game designer and as an engineer in that case. And I'm not an engineer, but I understand what what you have to be thinking about. Um, you have to keep the the calculation simple mm-hmm. so that a minimum spec machine somebody somebody who bought a Vive because their his Vive said that this had this you know computer would support it. You have to respect that. Yeah. Um, it's like, there's, there's a reason
0: games like accounting and work simulator or job simulator are not high fidelity mm-hmm. realistic renderings. Yeah. It's like not just a purely aesthetic choice. It's a very practical choice. So if you're an indie dev, heavy dev, who doesn't have a whole bunch of time to realistically render all your assets yep. in 3D don't feel bad
1: you're doing yourself a favor down the line yeah we get you know i i'm involved in a lot of the communities online related to vr and some of the questions we always get are like you know why doesn't this you know why isn't there real-time ray tracing why isn't there which that one i was laughing i'm like come on guys like nobody does like most video games don't do real-time ray tracing it could be running on you know uh 800 by 600 and we're still not gonna do real-time ray tracing um but With VR games you go, oh, why doesn't this look more like The Witcher? Where are the AAA games at? And really one of the answers to those, besides the economics question, is, you know, what you expect of a AAA game and what a AAA game needs to put their neck on the line for with with the expectation of visual fidelity um, isn't totally achievable yet. Yeah. And that's just for, that's just the way it is. It's like, why isn't every movie Lord of the Rings? Right? it's you know, it's this aspect of like you know, Kevin Smith is not going to do a Lord of the Rings movie because he recognizes like he's not expected of it. In the same way that you know, Peter Jackson's not going to do Clerks Four. Yeah. You know, it would be hilarious it to would, see a
0: three part Clerks Four. Yes,
1: with the most epic battle scene, nine hundred fifty uh, like on screen. You Geeks, know, wait, this whole giant. Um, Convention battle. Huge amount of alpha compositing and everything else. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, and so when you're working in VR, it's just this conscious thing of like, okay, we keep things simple. Mm-hmm. We don't do a lot of physics calculations, generally speaking. Um, you know, you bake the lighting and you do really, you know, one or two ambient light kind of basic things. And you're doing it because you're really trying to design for um, simple processing and in that regard... It's like super hot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a very simple looking game. It's And like those shatters and things you see the here those are all pre-animated for the most part. Like they're not physics calculated. You can't like shoot the bullet off a shattering component and see another thing happen. Yeah. It's a really simple game. And it works. Um, and with that, the, the people who achieve, who, who do the best in VR and AR are the ones who are interesting game designers in yeah. the regards of... You know, they lean into the creative constraint. They lean into the technical constraint, and they come up with really fascinating um, uh, solutions to just like what is fun when we have to strip away all the glitz.
0: Yeah, that's so the reason why I love game jams so much. Is yeah. that you get the time constraint and often other constraints, like I'm helping with the GB Jam entry, the Game Boy one. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. where you could only do four colors at a time. <laughs> you we know, can do up to gameplay resolution. Oh my gosh. Sound, you can do whatever. So, just, yeah. so actually use my pocket operators for that to help a little bit sound there. But get back to the art topics, like the whole it's not just, it can
1: be a purposeful aesthetic choice. Because yeah. of a whole bunch of advantages. Oh, absolutely. Um, and And there's nothing wrong with picking something that is going to just look, you know, breathtaking yeah um there's some really uh, i think what's called in death or on death i think it's in death is this new um uh, uh, first person almost like dante like um bow and arrow shooter um kind of a gothic horror kind of you know descent into uh, hell. hell kind of dungeon game uh, and, and, and if yeah and it, and it looks gorgeous, and it was. You know, I'm pretty sure it's done on the Unreal Engine, and the lighting is spectacular. Um, it's a little iffy on like a GTX 980, mm-hmm. but it's it works great on, on the 1080s and the 1070s and so forth. Um, nothing wrong with that game. Like it's an excellent game, um, but you you know you from my perspective, when I, you I look at it and I peel back some of the layers of the onion, you can recognize the areas in the development where. So, you know, he's running only the physics he needs to run. Mm-hmm. He's got the collision set just so, so that, you know, s- certain things in VR because we know we don't have a real player object as much as we have maybe the hitbox for the enemy hitting you. Yeah. We're probably not run- re- rendering an avatar for the player at all. Um, and we know exactly where we're going to stand because we've controlled where you can teleport to and where you can't. Move. Um, it means you can get rid of lots of the potential collision calculations you might be even thinking about running. Yeah. It's like keeping into a little box instead of trying to do a whole big real world. Yeah, exactly. You know, these really simula- uh, tightly simulated world designs, um, which are excellent. But at the same time, it's like, you know, those are more, have those come in the shadow of a lot of insights from... Uh, Is I from going too
0: far? Huh? So I can try and see if I can get it and then have him dial back?
1: Or... Well, well, yeah. Well, I was going I was to even call it a couple games that, like, really... Mm. You know, Brookhaven Experiment. These guys, you know, uh, guys out of Chicago who would made these really excellent kind of horror wave shooters. Those kind of, you know, lessons from that mm. fed into... Well, the guy who did Brookhaven ended up doing Island 359, which is, like, the, one of the first open-world dinosaur shooters. Nice. And so, okay, we can, we can learn from the wave shooter how to make... Moving around and finding objectives and returning back to base more interesting. Or how to do inventory systems with different guns. Um, and then you've got Job Simulator and these different games that taught us, like, what are really fun interactions like? Or what are fun character moments like? Um, done with just primitives. Exactly. And so... Like, so much of the charm of accounting comes down to the
0: characters and writing and voice acting. Yeah. Like, who would to that happy seeing skulls right would be engrossing?
1: Yeah. I mean, the most overwhelming moment I've had in VR, and I've tried a lot of them, the most overwhelming moment I ever had was, um, you know, the tree in the second scene of accounting yelling at me, calling me the worst things I've ever been called in any video game, while I've got two guys yelling at me on the phone to my left ear, and the spatial sound component of that really dialing home. This chaotic social moment I'm having um, where I can't hear myself think in a completely virtual space, um, you know... By design. By design. And, you know, I've I've played shooting games where I've, I've gotten pinned down in VR and those were overwhelming. But... I've got to feel different experiences. And, and this is where I, I don't like the word, but the immersion really kicked in. Yeah. Um, immersion is a word that gets batted around to, but I'm writing an article about that right now <laughs> where it's like, stop using the word immersion. But unless um, there's a pool involved. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But don't mix pools and VR. No. One way trip. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Some water slide. And I think Mexico's currently got like a VR headset on you while you've got on the water slide. And every part of that seems like a bad idea to so yeah. me. Even if it's like, waterproof, I don't care. There's not a chance in hell that the experience that you're seeing in your eyes is going to match the, like the twisting and turning of the water slide. It's like the then... whole fun is being in the slide itself, right? Yeah. And then, like, what happens if you like you know slightly roll over and get water in your mouth, and now you've got, you can't spit it out because you've yeah. got a headset on? Yeah, actually, uh,
0: Claire and I did a VR roller coaster experience. I think it was was it Six Flags, and that was cute. Yeah, um, and that's the best I can say for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like because they actually had like a super tiny roller coaster thing, like right. just enough
1: to make it interesting, but not really fulfilling. Did it? Did you feel like the video being fed to your eyes like matched what you were experiencing in the roller coaster to a limited degree? Okay, I clearly enjoyed it more. She, she's over here nodding very vigorously. I, I mean, I suppose also like on a real roller coaster, you've already got a bit of tacit motion sickness that's yeah. like part of the fun. <laughs> the, the, in the very beginning of VR, there was a lot of people who were making roller coaster rides um, in these headsets, and it was like they had just like leaned into the motion sickness, and <laughs> this oh, is totally on purpose, guys. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah, and a lot of us who are like game developers and whatnot were like, stop making roller coaster v- VR things for the simple fact that like it sets people's expectations that VR equals motion sickness, right? And outside the context of the roller coaster, nobody wants to feel the motion sickness. And so we were always like, no, like make the first experience someone has in VR uh, be job simulator
0: or the
1: lab or search maybe not search simulator for the first one. Search simulator is great. It's it's hilarious. Um, Exactly. Just 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 knocking ribs out with a hammer, and then if you do it in zero G, like the ribs are just floating across your eyes. those those are great, but and there, there's no and there's no sensation of motion sickness in that regard. Yeah. and so your your first taste of VR in that case is is pure and unbridled fun. Yeah, um, and glee. That, yeah, it's glee. It's it's a world that has rules that you intuitively understand, but at the same time, like defy your everyday reality. Yeah, um, that is is the best aspect of it.
0: The um, whole idea of getting something you can't normally get. Right, it's probably a huge angle to lean in on. Yeah. Because like norm- you can't normally perform surgery with, in the way you do in surgery Simulator without going
1: to jail. I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, even if you're a fully trained surgeon, if you do it the way you did in Surgeon Simulator, you're going to jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you definitely can't do it in even your experience. You can't do it in space. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Or, uh, you know, there's no one in real life would give you an achievement badge for throwing the heart out the back of the moving ambulance. Yeah. Um, bad idea. For sure they give you, like, time in jail for that. Yeah. <laughs> At oh, least community service, you'll pick up the heart.
0: <laughs> yeah. you already off the street. Exactly. You're some poor guys <laughs> and yell that's Just like, another heart. Right. Another heart. Yeah. So there's a poor
1: guys. Has- Ooh, hashtag, hashtag, trash tag. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. So it's, um, to switch around entirely. Sure. Uh, from being too silly. I know one of my like biggest frustrations with VR is I have in commonly good vision. Okay. So I see pixels. Yeah. My immersion for me is actual, like, have to try for.
1: Sure. Oh, yeah. Is that, like, a common problem? It is. Um, It's actually one of the things that when you get into the weeds, it's a common point of discussion among the VR aficionados. Um, Very likely what you're experiencing is something we either call the screen door effect, where um, because you're seeing the pixels, you're also kind of seeing the gaps in between them. And that darkness actually kind of feels a little bit like if you if you had a screen door in front of your house as a kid, you put your head up against the screen door and look through it, the the gray lines in between, now you've pixelated your vision. Exactly. So we call that the screen door effect. The other thing that we also point to is if you're playing any kind of dark games, space or so forth, and then there's like white lights in those areas, um, the white lights as they get ref- uh, shot out of the pixels in the headset and then reflect through the lenses, we, we say that these things called god rays. Yeah. Um, and those god rays kind of... Kind of the like coronas and these weird kind of light artifacts on your eyes. Um, those are that's actually one of the problems that's more impacted when you kind of blur your vision. My vision's yeah. not perfect. It's you know, it's not bad. I don't wear glasses every day. But at the same time, um, the God ray effect is more pronounced for me than it is for other people. Yeah. Um, those two things are our regular point of conversation when we're talking about new headsets, new lens designs, um, ways that hackers at home modify their lenses Ooh. in order to achieve different things. There was a big uh, like, weird groundswell of support for buying the uh, the Gear VR headset that Samsung had, the one that was just for your, like, Samsung phone, mm-hmm. and cracking the lenses out of it, and then replacing the lenses in your HTC Vive with those because they fit. Like, it, it required, like, a little more of work with a Dremel tool, I think, but they were both plastic lenses, so it didn't, you wouldn't have to worry about cracking. Um, but they would then put them right back into the Vive, and people had a strong belief that these lenses, because they weren't um, kind of what we could go, in the lighting world, we call like a Fresnel lens, a lens that kind of just, it bent the light slightly differently. Yeah. Um, it had less of a, a screen door effect. It had a little Ooh. less of a Godray effect. Is what people in said. Theory, I right? Yeah, in theory, I, I don't totally buy it, but at the same time, like, it is a great solution if you've broken a lens. Um, I have one lens. I, I've given hundreds of demos of my headset over the years, Whoa. and I, I, I've got one. My right lens on my Vive that I use every day has a s- tiny scuff mark from someone who had <sighs> glasses on, and they, yeah. they put the, they put the headset on with glasses on, and you know real you know silicon glass uh, pair of you know spectacles. Will scuff the plastic lens on a Vive really easily? Less well, good and, to know, yeah, yeah. And so, like, I've, I've thought for a while about picking up a, uh, a Samsung Gear and just swapping out the lenses for that reason, just so that now I have two fresh lenses that don't have scuffs on them. But yeah. um, good reason, good reason as any, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, that pixel quality. We, we also talk about like resolution isn't as important in VR as what we call pixel density. Yeah, and so you know, trying to get them as tightly together. That the screen door effect is less noticeable because there's less of a gap. Yeah. Because um, normally you're standing what I would hope at least
0: a good foot away from your playing gaming device. Maybe more like tw-
1: oh, you mean like when you're playing with a with a with a, with a PC or something? Or are you yeah. talking about like when you're in VR? Yeah. Oh,
0: uh, and uh, not VR. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Like a Switch or a Game Boy. Totally. Light, you're playing at least several inches. But, yeah, we say like
1: 10 to 14 inches is the design there. Um, actually, we use those benchmarks for designing UI and UX in VR, Yeah, is that the distance away that someone would hold a Game Boy, or the distance away that someone would hold a computer screen, or a, a laptop, we design UX for virtual reality in the same regard of like, the closest something floating in front of your face should be about... The sensation of fourteen inch, ten to fourteen inches away. If it's, if it's at eye level, if it's at like laptop level perspective, so it's slightly below you, and slightly angled back. You design those ones to be between like eighteen and twenty inches. Yeah. Um, and then like on-screen keyboards go like in the sixteen to fourteen inch range at a lower hand point. Yeah. Um, like nothing bothers me quite like having VR
0: UI elements way too close to my face. Oh yeah.
1: And there was a lot of that, and I still see academics do that actually. On but that's because oftentimes academics oh. are doing. Yeah, oftentimes academics are doing a very short project, where they haven't been working in VR every day for five years. They've what happens if we do a thing in VR and so they don't have all the legacy lessons. Yeah, um, so yeah, similar thing with programming. They'll do a
0: lot of really hacky software. Yeah. That if you come in and try to maintain, you sort of just <laughs> cry a little bit inside and like, it's not yeah. a little bit on the outside. And I can imagine that VR experience would be
1: very similar. Oh, because I- they just had to work. Yeah, exactly. That, I, I go through them on the regular. I get hired to do the prototypes on sometimes things. And then I will have spec'd out, like, a proper tech stack that an engineer is going to take over. But I tell them, like, don't try to build it off of the prototype. Because, like, you can use the prototype now as a almost a documentation of where you're going. But ideally, really no, don't, don't look at any of the code. You yeah, don't I, d- I don't have mind. an engineering degree. I don't have any engineering degrees. Yeah. Um. And even though I've so I've been I've been coding now for uh, almost ten years. Yeah. Um. But I would say like just look at as as thing. Read through how I expect you should engineer it, or and then do what you know would be best. Right. And and then I still then just advise on like what are the targets for a VR experience if the engineer doesn't have experience working on VR or AR projects. Yeah. Yeah. And this side comment is probably
0: work a lot better than that I turn the gain less high. Instead of the other way around. feel <laughs> so like I've seen the yellow bar hit. And that's because I was turning it up the gain instead of Oh yeah, of course. That's why it's important to have a monitor. There we go. Yeah. Right. Um I think do you want to take a pause right there? Sure. Yeah, that was Let's just stop us. All right, I plugged in a laptop, so hopefully it won't die at us. But you can get a portable fan that's turning along. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so when last we left off from
1: intermission, we're talking about the Church of Pizza. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, always the sidebars that happen in the gaps of the radio show. Yeah. We're uh, moving on. We're <laughs> moving on. We're uh, talking about important things for new VR devs yeah. to do. Yeah, totally. I mean, so we, we spent way too long talking about motion sickness already. And so the key takeaways there are keep your frame rate up. Yeah. Any number of ways to do that, but just always be watching like your benchmark of like, are, am I able to deliver, you know, the gold standard is 90. Am I able to deliver 80 frames per second to the headset? Um, and then other things like don't put a player on rails mm-hmm. ever. Never. That will immediately make the motion sick. Um, That's why so many games have teleportation. Yeah, teleportation is is the is the gold standard of like accessible. This will not, under basically any circumstances, make someone motion sick. Yeah, um, there's you know movements in between you know using the thumb pads to just freely move that will cause motion sickness, but people will tend to train themselves out of it over you know, 20 to 50 hours of gameplay. Mm-hmm. Um, always worth saying, if you feel motion sick when you're in VR, don't fight your way through it. Take the headset off, get watered, walk away for an hour, two hours until it goes away. Yeah. Um, you cannot f- push your way through it. You can only make it worse for yourself in the long term by doing it that way. Yeah. Um, Nothing think we was a good gaming PC-like puppet. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> uh, or a brand new headset when it goes up <laughs> and into the, it's in the, into the mask. You get know, a toothbrush out to try to get in there. Thankfully, I've never had anyone uh, uh, get sick into my headset, but I have seen one person who got a little bit sick in their mouth, and that oh. was a little un- unpleasant. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, but, like, uh, and then there's, there's real interesting research in understanding how changes of inertia work in mm-hmm. VR. Um, go ahead and read up on that part. So you can do things like... Uh, Sorrento VR is an interesting example of they have... Jumping and doing backflips off walls and wall running and sliding, and all of that is in real time. Um, and you would think, based on what we thought we knew about motion sickness in 2015, 2016, Mm -hmm. this is a puke machine. But they've actually, they did the research into understanding like, how do I manage occlusion? How do I manage particle effects that actually help ground you in the movement? Um, how do I, um, actually do instant changes of inertia and so there's no acceleration and deceleration period so that i can have someone who's on the ground leap themselves 34 you know feet into the air and they can be shooting and twisting the body in midair um and they never feel anything wrong huh um there's like a, a really excellent master class in that regard um so it actually it's instead of having a
0: realistic momentum it's the suddenness of it, right? Yeah, and I, and the I almost cartooniness of it that makes it more yeah. accessible. It's almost yeah. like it gets our brain to suspend, um,
1: disp- uh, suspend belief in a set that is not really happening. Well, and, and it's actually perfectly grounded in biology. And that Ooh. like the hairs in the inner ear, actually, they only bend during periods of acceleration and deceleration. Oh. So, if you think about it, like if I'm sitting here right now, the hairs in my inner ear are pointing straight up, yeah. and if I'm in a Airplane doing seven hundred miles per hour, the hairs in my ear are straight up. Before we've already done um, acceleration, but it's during that, like you know, the pilot guns it and we sl- we get up to four hundred miles per hour and lean back and take off. That you can feel yourself get pressed into your seat, or when you hit the ground and he hits the brakes and you feel mm-hmm. yourself pull forward in the seat, those are the when the hairs bend forward and bend backwards. Mm-hmm. And so, in that same regard, if you um, instantly launch your character into full full speed pace. Yeah. Or you instantly come to a stop, or you instantly jump into this into you know a, a nice smooth five meters per second mm-hmm. exact speed while you're flying through the air. Um, that helps. Yeah, because there's no mismatch between
0: your brain's expectations right. of acceleration. Yeah. and the lack of acceleration signal from your ear.
1: Yeah, it's just. Both remain baseline. Yeah, you're. You're. It's not really motion sickness that we get sick from. It's. It's. Uh, we feel acceleration happening, or we feel deceleration happening, and we don't see it. Yeah. And so, what your eye saw was, I'm moving. Yeah. But they never saw I'm began or I sped up or I slowed down and your, your your hairs and your inner ear never bent but then again that's fine because I never saw anything that should have bent them in the first place so it sounds like you guys should make a super powered character in vr that would be more conducive yes than a realistic character yeah it's it's way easier to do ridiculously high power things in vr it's incredibly hard to do like simple everyday driving yeah. <laughs> Um, so that's a really important takeaway for the indie devs yeah yeah like first thing get to understand motion sickness a little bit and, 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 the, and the, you know follow from the lessons that people have already learned yeah. and so check out some of those like games that did lots of heavy movement that no one complains about motion sickness with yeah. um, the next one is like learn the toolkits that okay. really make your life easier and so that's what they're there for you know the, the the big ones I always point to um, right off the bat the Steam VR plugin if you're if you're using Unity I think they've also got one for Unreal now yeah. um, I can't remember if they have one in 2017 but I haven't checked in the last like year um, but the Steam VR plugin will immediately you know you drop that into your hierarchy somewhere and now you've got support for the Vive the Index the uh, the Go the Quest the Oculus and it, and it's managing all of that for you which is amazing um, and you can go to the sample scenes and now you've got access to some basic teleportation and things uh, the other one that every VR dev who's getting started should know to Google and to, to read up the documentation on and to play around with is what's called VR Toolkit, VRTK, it's got a flying pig uh, I- icon so you can see that around um, and VRTK in the same way it, you know, it provides an open VR framework for supporting almost all of the headsets that are out there And at the same time, uh, it has this very deep suite of um, interaction mechanics that you can just like grab and drop into your projects. And so I know a lot of VR devs who, when they're just putting together their beginning of a project, they're building something for a client, um, or they're just kind of messing around one day, they will totally get started with VRTK and just grabbing components and dropping them in. And, And you don't... It's a rather complex way that everything is connected. It's, it's, you know, 30 layers of nested prefabs. But at the same time, they've made it in such a way that if you follow those prefabs, you understand the documentation and the hierarchy, you can produce an entire VR application without ever opening C Sharp. Nice. Um, Which is not a bad thing. It's not cheating. That's just being efficient. Yeah. And their upside there is because they've tried to institute kind of Um, in the same way Python or anybody else has a community understand language of here is how we design all of these interactions. And this is what the stack looks like for each of these uh, people who work on one VRTK project can open somebody else's VRTK project and without opening up code can immediately look at all the different interaction tools, interactors, objects, uh, behavior mechanisms, and just get it. Just immediately understand this is how this entire stack is working. This is how all these interactions are working. Um, I don't even need, you know, comments. Yeah. I don't need you that know, provided me an additional document short of, you know, what do you need help with? Right. Because um, it's all just there. Exactly. So can focus on the unique part of the offering. Yeah. And
0: find what's actually fun about the game idea versus struggling to get it to work at all. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Um, and then from there, it, it becomes, you know, if you're starting on a, a VR application, a VR game, I really encourage people, make a, like a VR game, even if it's, you know, one we all have already worked on in the past, you know, a, a 3D Asteroids game, uh, a Rollerball, something like that. Yeah. and Figure out how do you make an interesting VR game out of this. Um, first off, like, do your homework on first-person video games and get to understand, like, what has worked in the past from telling a story to someone who's in first person who has limited agency even you know, like even in VR like you know you'd think I have all the agency in the world but if you haven't offered it to the player like taught them really quickly like what can they and can't they do um, that's the that was the genius behind accounting yeah. it, it was the narrative that drove tutorializing the explorative nature of that game. Because you couldn't just give them a whole long list of what you do in each
0: level. Yeah. You get to actually give them a the space in which you can explore and figure things out. Yeah. And let them do what is really a lot of different things. Right. Just do a very simple interaction. It was a very simple interface. Just yeah. reach over, touch it, reach over, click it. And that's the entirety of the interaction. It's just what you give them to work with. Yeah.
1: it's a really interesting part, and and you need to guide that person in regards because there are there's not like a clear language so far of like what do I do in VR? Yeah, like you know I pick up a platformer on a console and I know I'm immediately going to run right. Yeah, like I understand after 30 years of, of video games, like we all know all the tropes that go with well, very first game game. Exactly, we're not VR literate, and even as the, as developers and designers, there's not a strong. Um, language that's been constructed, rules and, and understandings about, like, how do you design things for VR? So when you're introducing a new player to a game, don't be afraid to literally put up an audio track that describes the person. And this is why I said, like, look at counting. Yeah. Look at Island 359. You know, in, in Island 59, they fly you in a helicopter and drop you off. And the whole time the pilot, in a very natural way, is telling you, like, all right, good luck hunting the dinosaurs. There's going to be some supply drops. You should see the drop happen every certain, you know... Every so often. Every every so often or the checkpoint or else. And don't forget to come back to me when you're finished in order to, like, get out of here. Yeah. And what they're doing is they're basically describing you. This is the entire loop of the game. uh, Because as soon as you hit the ground, you're going to be immersed and distracted and there's going to be dinosaurs hunting you and sometimes you're winning and sometimes you're losing and you're going to be frightened. And we're not going to clutter your whole screen with you know, heads up display markers. Definitely. And so in that capacity, like, you know, they told you exactly what to do. Accounting tells you exactly what to do. Um, And if you're not getting like all of the many, many signposts that they're showing you over and over and over of like, stab here, do this. They sometimes literally signs. Yeah. Literally signs. They will have a phone ring and call you and tell you, or the judge will start berating you. About like, it. yeah. Don't don't throw that at me. What are you doing? Why are you doing at me? And and they're saying that to get you to goad you into doing more of it because they know that you are going to immediately recognize that's the fun thing. Actually, I want, I want to be controversial. Yeah. I want to do this thing. That's it. It's like the
0: original video games. They all came with manuals for a yeah, reason, exactly. So you can learn what to do with them, right? yes. The only reason like more modern games don't come with more manuals is one cost and two because we've gotten so used to having these games. Yep. Especially within circles of developers who've been doing it for decades.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's easy to forget how non obvious a lot of stuff is. Yeah, yeah. And so in that regard, like, you know, get a feel for it. Get a feel for what's working. Don't be afraid to tell people in the game exactly how they should embark on it in the in the entry level. Um, yeah. a, a lot of uh, even the bigger community games, Altspace, Rec Room, or whatever else, uh, for the first year and a half while they were building a community of players, they staffed people in the lobby that you loaded into as soon as you put the headset on. Like a real human being was there to talk to you and tell you about like what you yeah. could do here and welcome you and like show you around, which is not scalable as a game dev. No. Like I can't put my headset on every day and like try to explain to someone what 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 they're doing. Yeah. But they recognized immediately like some handholding is necessary, nice. and it's not a bad thing. It's yeah. not like oh the exactly. audience isn't good. It's like, nobody's good nobody's yet. Nobody's good right? yet. Yeah. Um, exactly. Like, there's no
0: intuition for this kind of stuff. Um, so a great example you might do for an indie game, hobby game, is have this sort of sort of tutorial only space where you load into something where there's yeah. nothing there but the learning experience. Right. Explaining to you very clearly how to do stuff. And then you can transition to a much more high fidelity, much more immersive world yeah. that doesn't ask you to remember a bunch of things yeah absolutely
1: yeah. yeah um and the upside to v r right now being um because you need to be developing very pure simple games yeah um you as a as a designer as a developer or whatnot, you need to nail the core loop yeah and and not just the the whole of the loop we talk about in game design like um if like the most basic thing that you do like jump yeah or shoot. If that doesn't feel fun, even out of all the context of scoring and objectives and leveling up and reaching the next stage and getting on the high score list, just get that one thing feeling good. Make it so that the moment the person puts on the headset and they get to do the very first action that is like the core action, um, and don't like like in portal, like they actually kind of hold off giving you the portal gun for yeah. quite a while. Yeah, that's a thing you can do twenty years into like Full literacy of a game, um, also with like slow built puzzle design. Uh, don't wait to give the person the most fun moment and the core experience. Right. You know, if it's a shooting game, have, they should be shooting in the first thirty seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's an immersive shooting game, it should the first time they pull the trigger, their ears should ring almost. Yeah. And not like don't really hurt the person, but yeah. like it should be the most rich, fulfilling shooting experience that they have ever had because. As far as they can tell, they are holding a real gun in their hands. Yeah. And if you're a hobbyist seeing in a game dev, you probably don't have
0: the time and resources to do this to write out develop a whole slower build up into a longer game. Right. You probably only had the space for a, maybe a few hours total of an experience. So yeah. If you ever want to actually finish it. Yeah. So all the more reason to say in the first thirty seconds, here's the important thing. Yeah. And if you can't fit the really important stuff into the first thirty nine seconds of the game they might decide you need to be
1: in the game. Agreed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Get really comfortable with just like killing your darling, slashing out all the features that you have a vision for. I actually I just was watching a really great talk from VR uh, uh, VR Developer Conference. Or sorry, not VR game developer conference GDC. Um, the guy who made Kingdoms and Castles. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: which is not a VR game, of course, but really talked about you know this vast feature list that they had that you know, 20 pages of features that never made it into the game, and they don't feel bad about that at all. Um, um, and then also that aspect of even wow. when people they consider competitors or very like, what you know, similar games would implement a new feature or a new UI or, or new something, that they kept their eye on the prize for what their game was in wow. regards of I can put time into improving a UI, I can put time into a new feature, or I can spend that 10 hours... Really balancing out a core gameplay feature mm-hmm. or a mid-game feature, where things got a, there's a lull between what we're asking you to do in the beginning, as you learn, ramping up, and then reaching like boss level difficulties. Making sure, like you know, I can put the time into balancing out the middle area of this and making sure it's really smooth and continues to be engaging. Um, that's the exact same lessons people should be attacking as a VR developer right now in the regards of like make sure that your game maybe has replayability. There's a lot of talk in VR and you can expect this. Like you're going to be pricing at a higher price point than a lot of other indie games, just because it will have been more work for you. Um, You can also assume that someone who's buying a VR game actually already has a bit more disposable. They've spent invested in $700 headset or whatnot.
0: Somebody with a phone looking for a free
1: game. Exactly. Uh, But at the same time, like there, that doesn't mean that just because you're a $20 game in VR, you're not still up against every other twenty dollar PC game, exactly. and you're being compared to your feature set. And so, in that regard, like you need to have made sure your game has a f- strong sense of replayability. Probably, mm-hmm. um, it needs to feel like a rich and engaging experience. That after you've played it once, you you want to talk about it, and not just that. Oh, the the worst thing every single VR dev has heard at some point during a play test was that was cool, and then they walk off to the headset and leave. Exactly. <laughs> Um, you know, Mark Brown of of Game Maker's Toolkit talks about when you make a trailer, the goal of a trailer is is not as much to sell the game as it is to get people talking about the game. Mm -hmm. And as a VR developer, the same thing. You design something, you should be designing for a conversation, you should be designing for the VR community to immediately jump on Reddit, jump on Facebook, and to start chatting out about, like, I just tried this thing, free demo, bought it, whatever, um... I just want to share the excitement um, because, right. one, it's great for you. You're going to get a few more sales. But more importantly, it's great for the entire VR industry. be oh, fun, to, too. It's going to tip over 20 new people to buy a headset. Um, and, and the last thing I, w- I would just say right now is don't try to, like, reinvent gaming for VR. Mm. Um, there's 30 years of titles that we all love yeah. uh, of genres, of themes that uh, – Beyond just shooting a zombie, shooting a dinosaur, you know, those have now been
0: done. Yeah. Those we retired,
1: like, 20 years ago when yeah. it was uh, in the arcade playing uh, one dinosaur game. Exactly. And so, in that regard, it's like, look at one of the many other genres that you love as a gamer, that you yeah. love as a designer, and go, how would I make this in VR? How would I make this in AR? And don't just make it that simple, right? Uh, Sim City in VR. Yeah. I don't know what that looks like, but I could... I could spec out a really hacky version of it in my head right now and probably finish coding a basic version of it in like a month. Um, think about like what leans into the immersive quality of like, I want to build a city. I want to do any number of game genres, um, and go, and I'm going to lean into the immersive quality. I'm going to lean into the hand controls. I'm going to lean into the scale, big, small, however you design it. Um, the more genres that we see built up in VR, besides just shooting, the more genres you see built up in VR, besides just shooting, uh, that is really where we are going to build up that critical mass. I want to see like what does—that's um... where the evolution of VR,
0: yeah, really sits. Exactly. Like, as soon as you mentioned those different genres, I suddenly fell in love with the idea, of a city Builder. Yep. And actually, popped down. And like be in the park right. I just built, I look around, and see all the little like twenty pixel peoplelets, peoplelets, yep. yep, just sliding around the ground,
1: doing running little people lives. Do that, you know what does it? What does a JRPG look like yeah. in VR? A final like an old Final Fantasy four style you game. When you can't ask someone to be in VR for one hundred and forty hours. Yeah, exactly. And so all of these different things where it's like, what do these genres that there are huge markets for beyond just shooting and, and maybe just platforming. And even then not really I would love to see some awesome what does platforming look like in VR. Yeah. I mean that's like that is one of the fundamentally center centered genres of every video game. Um how do you make a teleporter platformer? Yeah. Um the the like what VR needs from developers right now is yeah. to know the basics of like don't do that, like don't make you motion sick. You can do like you can do this. Uh, I know a lot of game devs who their first games were VR. Yeah, um, which seems insane, but it's true. They, they pulled it off. I mean, um, doing a 3D game
0: your game 20 years ago, 30 years ago would have seemed absurd. Right. Yeah. This the
1: tech, tech evolves. Yeah. Um, and Unity has made it easy, and Unreal with blueprints have made it easy. Um, I I know for a fact, uh, Brookhaven Game Experiment and Island 39 were built entirely on blueprints. They they did not write any code for those games. Yeah. Um, it works yeah the, these are huge you know award, award winning you know in the VR industry we, we would call them best sellers because they've got you know 500,000 maybe 700,000 sales a lot of sales yeah for what was made by two guys in the garage yeah um, so, really garage so I think one has a basement and the other one might have been in the garage Plus enough yeah. yeah yeah I mean and they have kids like yeah. they, these are not like you know just guys like, they had to support families on this and they pulled it off dang um, those are where I say like follow the lessons of everybody who's been working in VR for the last few years. Mm-hmm. Follow all the lessons of great game design from uh, a first-person narrative and then also, you know, first-person UI and UX. I, I think I talk about Mirror's Edge more than anything else and, yeah. and the idea of how to design signposting for really immersive first-person games. Like, the one of the most immersive things you can get is not having to be told.
0: Right. And, like, stuff being seen, like, too obvious can seem bothersome. but yep. It lets you
1: just keep going through the game without... Pause, then that's immersion the right there. Yeah, and then if you want to make a name for yourself right now in VR, figure out what's the genre, what's the community that hasn't gotten properly tapped, that you know you think you can turn over into yeah. being an interest, an interested in VR community. Um, you know, with the Quest coming out now for you know, and, and then lots of headsets are finally going on the resale market where you've got people who've upgraded to a Valve Index, we're now selling their Vibes, and so you can get a Vive on eBay for like a hundred dollars. Um, this is where I, I expect. If you wanted to make, uh, you know, Stardew Valley in VR, and, and that's a very indie community kind of feeling game. If you wanted to make... Um, Please, if you know, really want Stardew Valley in VR, you know, I'm not kidding. You know, a a Pokemon-style game in VR. Uh, you want to make a, um, uh, just like a, um, any sort of small platform or Star Fox game. I don't know what it would even be. But start thinking about what are all the genres that are your favorite genre that isn't reflected in this space. Yeah. And just... Take a crack at going, all right, let me make a little PC version of it, and now how would I turn the corner and make it into a VR version? Yeah. I'll
0: be honest. I would love a low-poly Star Fox-like game in VR. Right. That's purposely, that Super FX aesthetic, that um, sixty aesthetic. Yeah. And not only would that work really well for VR, because super low resolution, you have all kinds of fun. This just so let people... I can't even, like, I can't word right now because it's, like, super, super sad,
1: the idea of playing Star Fox 64, but in VR. Yeah. Um, One of the ones I would love to see, and I don't have the time to develop it right this second because I'm actually working on a different VR game. So this is, like, either one I'll make in five years or someone who's listening to this can just steal it and run. Is is the idea, like, making an XCOM-style game in VR where you have to physically embody all the squad members and then, like, take up your position set yourself in time, and then run out over a different character and then move as that character for a second. Yeah. And so in that regard, you really get to feel your way through every character. Um, you know, if I wanted to do really great character design like, with that. The line of sight becomes so much more... Literal. M- literal. Yes. Right? It'll also make the 99% miss when you're at point playing range even more embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> but,
0: but if you have things like environmental effects controlling that, then yeah. it makes a lot more sense to miss. it. Your ninety percent chance to miss yeah. can be explained. If you see them, if you appreciate the fact that both characters are moving in real time or realish bullet time, right? And there's smoke and fire, and the characters concussed, their vision is actually only about fifty percent normal resolution. Yep. Whatnot. As soon
1: as you embody them, you get to see through their eyes that they are concussed and that they're having a hard time. Um, you know, having either their actual voice and thoughts in your ear while you embody them for a second, so you yeah. can get a real sense for what they're going through you know, that idea of I'm shaken, you actually get to experience it as you embody that character. Um, As long as you get nauseous. As long as you get nauseous. Yeah. I mean, and and there's a lot of ways around that. And so just start thinking about what are all the games that I could follow. I could, I could follow in the steps of that. uh, Ideally I can, I can make a nice small slice to get it game tested, to get a feel for it, get, get people in it. Um, And then if you've got a great idea, you know, This is one of those spaces where it's it's probably easier to get funding right now than just being any number of any game besides mobile because mobile gets just lots of funding thrown at it, Um, you know. There's a smaller market. You have to learn how to have those conversations. But at the same time, if you have a game idea that you've proven out with a slice and you've proven out with an audience, they are hungry for. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like you might turn from hobbyist developer, indie developer, to Fully put in developer. Yes. They're,
0: Developing they're, that really sharp idea. Totally. That one, like, one that really stabs you right in the idea box. Yep. Which I don't know where the metaphor came from. <laughs> just, yeah, and yeah. It just like, really excites people in a way.
1: charges them up that gets them to want to throw money at you, which is always nice. Yeah. There's a lot of investors out there who've put a lot of money into VR, yeah. and they're hesitant about putting more in for very good reason. They've only heard bad ideas, mm-hmm. and they've heard it from people who didn't validate those ideas. So if you're, you know, and and people who try to create games who never worked on games but also weren't game fans, (sighs) they weren't students of it. And I don't don't mind people who make VR things who weren't gamers. Yeah. But if you are a student of gaming and you are a a really interested indie game dev, hobbyist game dev, and you've got a passion for going, like, I want to make this thing, I want to make it the right way, I want to make it for the community, and I know how we're going to do it. Yeah. Um... Like, Even, yeah, like you don't have to be a hardcore gamer, right? To make a great game, you do need to do your research. Yeah, make your ten-minute demo. Get you know, bring it to local meetups. Yeah. Get five hundred, a thousand people to have tried it over the course of two months. Like, really have done like the documentation to like, like get the reactions from them. Take that documentation to heart and change yeah. the things about the game that you love that you realize aren't resonating, so that you make the game that your audience is going to love. As long as you still feel passionate about it at the end of that, um, and then take all that effort. And bring it to an investor and suddenly you've turned the corner from hobbyist into pro if that's something you want to do. Yeah. And if you don't, you just want to make the most use of the limited time
0: you have as a hobbyist developer to yeah. get the game. Yeah. And the more you can more impactful each hour you spend can be, oh. the more useful your decisions are, more informed by actual playtests and all that, yeah. the better your time will be served. And you might get an amazing game. Yeah. As a surprisingly small investment. But this using the tools available to you, like you mentioned, the toolkit by yep. using the uh, research, actually having people play it, Yeah, people besides yourself, and focusing on very limited tools, uh, tool sets, feature sets, so it's really sharp, and doing your research. And bam.
1: Yeah, and, and as you have people play it, every time that you tell someone like how to do something, uh, write down that you haven't built that into the game well enough. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I think that's been a great chat on VR. Yeah. I'm like, super psyched, now not want to make a VR game. We this. should do it. Yeah. We should, we should make a thing. Um... I, I, there's a number of VR jams that are part of the itch.io calendar Yeah, um, there's also some augmented reality jams we didn't talk about those at all but ooh, there's ooh, a ooh, lot of reality you mm-hmm. know, if you want to talk about some of the lessons of VR now with the penetration of the mobile market mm-hmm. like that's a, a really interesting space to play and maybe, maybe we'll talk more about that sometime We yeah. will hold on our interview Sweet. Woo. so uh,
0: Henry thank you very much for being here thanks on... JC yeah. Yeah, glad to have you here yeah. this has been a side quest completed get back to working on your game that's gonna get back to your game. Good luck. <laughs> Try some different lines. There we go. And I won't stop just yet. We get some more big ball footage. Okay. Yeah. Sweet.
1: That was fun. Yeah. That's almost an hour too. Yeah. I know. I know. We're definitely just, right just, just, there. just, yeah, just every time that the microphone had a funny moment or my phone beeped or yeah, I can't mean to get a towel but underneath there to stop that from the. Oh so yeah, I, that
0: you. Yeah, yeah. yeah and you can definitely tell where I'm talking because you're talking because it's like versus. I really need to work on my projection.
1: Yeah, and I, I just grew up in a really loud household, and so I forget about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did too,
0: but my reaction was just to find quiet rooms. Oh, <laughs> you know, read, and get, read <laughs> on the computer. I didn't try to compete. Yeah,
1: yeah. My so I'm I'm one of the quietest people in my household.
0: Dying. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, I think I can hear my grandfather right now, and he's in Chicago. <laughs> I don't know if I can get to that or not, the recording. Um,
0: yeah. <laughs> going we raising a hand. <laughs> I'm yeah. quiet. Yeah. You were. Put some quiet this time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so man. we'll stop there. Thanks for listening to the SideQuest Completed podcast. If you aren't subscribed, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. You can also find all our episodes and our RSS feed at SideQuestCompleted.com. Subscribe today and don't miss an episode posted every Wednesday. Keep game devving and we'll see you next week.